My name is Cheryl Herrick. I'm the founder of Ponytail Racing LLC. And if you'd like to learn to define your best life and have the courage to live it, you should be listening to the More Than Corporate podcast with my good friend, Amber Furman. Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I am so excited for this interview. We are here at the PodMax Global event, and I'm here with Cheryl Herrick. Um, early in her career, Cheryl found herself running a small family-owned medical device business, which grew from a break-even company to $4 million in annual sales with 85% margins in only a few years. Cheryl credits the success to a solid method for running the business. The method of the business philosophy of Dr. W. Edwards Deming, who is known as the founder of the System of Profound Knowledge. Cheryl has successfully repeated the use of this message in retail, service-based businesses, including self-development sectors, where she was the highest-selling independent contractor and producer of programs, as well as product-based businesses. More recently, leaving her post as the co-general manager of a 100-employee automotive company to pursue consulting and coaching, focusing on helping others use Dr. Deming's methodologies. Cheryl is a partner in a startup producing new technology houses and is also the founder of Ponytail Racing, a motorsports company doing good in the world and whose current programs, and I love this, are giving back to military veterans who have PTSD and other wounds of war. I'm so excited to dig into the interview with Cheryl. Really quick before we do that, if you're someone, if you or someone you know has ever said the words, I'll be happy when, I just need to keep losing weight, I just need to keep working hard. I just need to keep building my career and then I'll be happy. If you've ever felt like you've done something that you're supposed to do, yet life isn't turning out the way you expected, something's missing, you feel like something's missing even though people are telling you you're successful, the Define Your Life Mastermind is for you. The most powerful question anybody ever asked me is what does success mean to you? And I realize people don't ask themselves that question enough. The Define Your Life Mastermind is designed to help you get clear on what success means, what a well-rounded life looks like, and what your best life feels like. Once you know that, you can build a business that fits into that life and surround yourself with people who give you the courage to step out of your comfort zone and live that vision. If this sounds like something that you or someone you need would be, you know would be interested in, head over the, to the Define Your Life Mastermind, defineyourlife.morethancorporate.com and schedule a call to see if we are a good fit to work together. Without further ado, let's jump into this interview with Cheryl. Cheryl, how are you doing today? I'm terrific. How are you? I am good. I'm so excited for this. We had a couple of minutes to talk before and I just love what you do. I love what your mission is. I love your definition of success. And we're going to get into all of that today. Um, I would love to go back just a little bit though. One of my favorite questions to ask people is when you were growing up and planning out your, your future, your adult life, what did you think your life was going to look like? What, were, what did you want to be when you grew up? I guess is the better question. You know, that is a great question. I don't actually think I had an idea of specifically what I wanted to be, <clears throat> but I had a mother that was an entrepreneur. 
And so from the, <clears throat> excuse me, from the time I was a little kid, my mother was running a business out of our house. So this was back when we had, you know, rotary phones that were landlines and, you know, you put your finger in and dial the phone <laughs> and, um, but, and we had an answering machine, which was an actual physical box that sat on the counter in our kitchen. <laughs> we never answered the phone in our house because we didn't know if it was a business call for my mom or if it was a call for one of us kids from one of our friends. And so I used to tell people, here's my phone number. When you call, it's a machine is going to come on and say a business name. Start talking. If I'm home, I will pick up the phone. So all I knew is that my, in my grandmother on my father's side owned several businesses. And that would have been back in like the twenties and thirties. So there was, there was all these strong women around me that were running their own businesses and supported by men that thought that was a cool thing. That's so powerful. Like, because you just, especially 2030s and then the generation before us, you don't hear that often. Right. Well, and my grandmother, she really didn't have, she had um, brothers that were really supportive, but she didn't have a lot of support from her spouse. She kind of raised those five kids on her own because my dad had four siblings. Well, there were more, but they didn't all survive. So there was five of them that lived. And so my grandmother was doing it because of survival. You know, she didn't set out to be an entrepreneur. She did it out of survival, but she was smart and she had a talent for things. And so that was, you know, and those were stories that I didn't know all of that about my grandmother, like when I was first, you know, when I was really, really little, but the stories came out across time. And I knew the way that my father treated his mother. And I knew that he thought she was smart and that she had accomplished a lot of things. And so that was a, a theme that kind of always ran through the family. And so then him supporting my mom and her having her own business and, and doing a lot of really creative things. I just remember thinking, well, shoot, you know, women do the same things as men. And in my neighborhood growing up, that was my neighborhood. Like the women had motorcycles like the guys did. And the women drove the speedboats like the, you know, like the husbands did. And so I didn't understand until much later in life that I kind of grew up in this little progressive neighborhood that was different than most other neighborhoods. And we were blue collar people trying to become white collar people. And so that took everybody working together. And so I think that's why our neighborhood was the way that it was, is because everybody was trying to get somewhere. They were trying to get, break into a job where they could do something other than use their hands and backs constantly. Yeah, there's, there's so much power in what you said. And, you know, the way that we are raised just impacts so much of what we think we're capable of and the true power of not realizing until you're kind of out of that imprint age that the world isn't always like that and that some women grow up not believing that they can do anything that they want to do and not being surrounded by that that strong influence is such a powerful place to be because I think it brings this sense of gratitude and sense of just thankfulness that you were raised in an environment that supported you like that. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, when I look at it now, and especially when I talk to, so I'm in my 50s, and when I talk to other women in my age bracket and hear how few people really had that kind of imprinting and the, 
you know, when we have the conversations we have with ourselves, right? Those are the most important ones ever. It's not the conversations I'm having with other people necessarily, although those are vital. But what am I telling myself when I'm alone? What, what is that dialogue when it's me by myself? And I don't have a dialogue that's attached to glass ceilings or women can't do things or I'm not attached to the, those kind of cultural um, beliefs. And I'm not saying that stuff doesn't exist. So I'm not saying that those things aren't a reality. I'm just saying that that's not a part of my dialogue because that's not how I was raised. And so my default isn't to look at something and say, well, that's because I'm a female or that's just not my default. And even my older brother was, um, he never made accommodations for me, I'll say. It was, we were siblings, stuff had to get done, let's get it done. And even though he was a year and a half older and physically stronger, he didn't treat me like I was a fragile person. He didn't treat me like I was not his equal. He always treated me like his equal. And so we joke about that to this day, because sometimes we'll be trying to do something, you know, but go, just grab that end. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Tim, I love you. But you know, what seems light to you does not seem light to me. Thank you for having that faith in me <laughs> and slow down, you know, so it's, um, it, it's a blessing. And, you know, sometimes it's, there are certain realities, but it definitely is a template that I view the world by. Yeah, I love that. And I want to point out what you just said, because I think that this statement just like hones in on the difference in mindset. And that is what you just said about thank you for having that faith in me. Because I think that so many other people, um, you know, I, I think back to to my life and, and I had a really great childhood. Um, but in a situation like that, I may be like, why, what would make you think I could do that? Right? Like what would make you think that I could lift that? Like, that's a ridiculous thing. Um, and for you to say, thank you for having that face of faith in me, but that's just not happening. Like physically, that's such a different mindset. And I think that's amazing. Um, I also wanted to touch on really quickly what you said about your grandma, because I think this is so powerful. We are in a world where I hear people say all the time, um, follow your DNA. You're born to be an entrepreneur. And that statement irritates me because I think entrepreneurism is learned. It's not born. Um, and we talked about your grandma getting into entrepreneurism as survival. And then she had all these skills and she had all these things that, um, these talents that she was able to monetize. I just think that's such a powerful statement that people need to hear that, you don't have to grow up with lemonade stands at the age of four to be able to say that like, I'm an entrepreneur. You learn those skills as you grow. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I think it's, I think, uh, here's what I will say. I think there is a piece in us that lends itself to entrepreneurship and that is the ability to bounce back. Yes. And and, and everybody has that in them, but the degree of it comes down to what you were talking about, about how you're raised. The degree of a belief in that comes back to how you're raised and um, your internal persistence. Like sometimes it just takes people longer to find it than others, but we all have it. But you're 100% right. Fear of failure, fear of um, being judged, fear at all. Um, and then also like not being able to jump back up after you get down. Like those are the things that will kill an entrepreneur. Those are the only things that will kill an entrepreneur. You can get over everything else. 
Yeah, if the the resilience, I I think that is somewhat of a DNA thing. Yeah, I, I agree. That, I think that 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 um, you know, I think every family has core values, whether they're whether they're spoken or not, whether they're defined or not. I think any adult person can look back and say, what were the what were the you know? Because a lot of businesses talk about core values, right? So. I think as a family, we can look back and say, when I was growing up, what were my core values? What were the values in our household? And I can tell you what ours were. I grew up in a co-ed world where men and women did everything. I grew up in a world where if you wanted something, my parents used to say, if you want, you can have anything you want if you're willing to work hard enough to get it. They literally, that was a mantra in our household. And you always help the underdog. And I think that comes from my dad being a Marine and, you know, the no man left behind kind of a thing, but that got imprinted through our entire family is that you never step on an underdog and you always, you always find a way to take the underdog with you. And I think also that my grandmother and my father were kind of growing up as the underdogs. And so that, that was a, you know, a thread that ran through our family. And so in our family, everybody had jobs. Like my parents both worked and they worked in the city and we lived in the country. So from the time I was six years old, I was setting my alarm, getting myself up, taking myself to school. There wasn't anybody there waking me up because my parents were trying to get somewhere and provide a different lifestyle for their family. And so my brother and I had jobs and it was, it was a serious thing, like the cooking, the cleaning, the mowing the lawn, the, you know, shoveling driveways. Like I did not babysit as a kid growing up. That was not a part of my entrepreneurial journey, <laughs> but, but I did go around, knock on doors of my neighbors and say, Hey, do you want me to shovel your driveway for 20 bucks? You want me to mow your lawn this summer? You need yeah. me to come pull weeds in your yard. And so I knew who I was and who I wasn't. And I wasn't a babysitter. Like yeah. nothing wrong with it. I just wasn't good with kids. So um, I, and I think this may be one of the places that we connect the most because I love your energy and you are a strong and influential woman, but I don't necessarily see you as the nurturing type of like, let me take care of kids. Like I'm sure you are a very caring individual, but like kids drive me nuts. And I'm like, I can't do you right now. Like you need to go. (laughs) I I joke around a lot about how I have two kids and I adore my kids. They're my favorite people to be around, but I can't be that much bothered otherwise. Like, but I think my kids are the coolest people on the planet. Of course, of course. Cause they probably are, but. (laughs) But you know, I, I used to joke all the time. I was like, Oh, please universe. Do not give me like tepid like really tepid, super chill, laid back, not willing to do anything kids because I'll kill them. Yeah. So it's interesting um, because I'm, I'm um, looking at your amazing bio and thinking about your world in, or, or your role in this coaching and consulting world. And we kind of talk about this all the time um, as the roles that people have to show up in. Like some people need the nurturing role. Some people need like a hard ass coach. And I always tell people like, like we're going to attract different people, but if you need the nurturing type of coach, I am not your girl. Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Like (laughs) I will tell you what you're doing wrong. I will help you. Yes. And I'm that way with my clients too. I'm like, come on, like, let's be real. Um, so I love, I love that. Um, I want to dig in really quickly cause I'm really intrigued by this. 
Um, you talk in your bio about this business philosophy. Um, yes. What is, in a nutshell, that philosophy and how has that impacted your life? Okay, so this, outside of my kids, this is one of my favorite things to talk about um, because Dr. Deming's philosophy influenced my entire life. Once I got a hold of this, it, his theory. So Dr. Deming was an American uh, statistician that the United States government sent to Japan after the, war, after the World War to help them rebuild. When he went over there, he started teaching everyone in Japan this business philosophy that he was honing way back in the like, late, you know, this would have been what, 40s, 40s and 50s. He was honing it. So he started teaching people over there how to do it. And he said, if you will listen to what I say and do what I tell you and embrace this theory, you will have the world screaming for mercy. Well, do we think that Japan happens to be a... Uh, corporate and business powerhouse these days for how small of an island it is, I think everyone would agree. So what his business philosophy is based on is the system of profound knowledge. And I'll try and see if I can get it in as few words as possible to keep it clean for people to understand. So what he believes is everything is a system. Everything in the universe is a system. And the way that I explain it to people is I'm Cheryl and I'm a system. And then inside of me, I have these other systems, respiratory system, cardiovascular system, waste management system. So there's the bigger system. And then there's a bunch of subsystems. The world is organized in the same way. Government is a system or a business is a system, right? So our business is a system and inside of it, it has all these different subsystems in it. It's got an accounting system and it's got a marketing system and a sales system and a delivery system. It has all of those things and it's all interdependent. And we have to understand that it's all interdependent and how, how it's interdependent. And if we can understand that, then the system that he talks about is you have to understand psychology. You have to understand that things are a system. You have to have an appreciation for uh, variation because there's always variation in the world, but the question is, what does the variation mean? And there are statistical tools to know that. And then the last component is um, epistemology, which is simply having a theory of knowledge. You have a theory, you test it out, either it works or it doesn't work. So it's really those four components, appreciation for a system, understanding variation, um, epistemology, the theory of knowledge, and then psychology, psychology of people and psychology of groups. And he says that you don't have to be a master in any of them in order to succeed using it. And that was key for me, that I didn't have to have mastery over things. Like I don't have to have mastery over statistics in order to understand their place in a professional business. I just have to know that it's important and then get people around me that help me with that part of it. And I know way more about statistics now than I did in 1990 when I first started using his theory, right? And so um, it's very humanistic, his theory, because he talks about that the system is really what produces the results. The people are a part of it and they make a major contribution, but the system is what produces the results. And so we should look to our systems and our processes for, for the, where the problem is and how to solve it instead of focusing on people and blaming people 
and making it about the people. And the easiest way in a business, for anybody out there that has a business, the easiest way to know if a person is the problem or if a process is the problem is this. If you, different people keep doing that job, but the problem stays the same, the people aren't the problem. It's a bad process that needs to be rewritten. If a lot of people use that process and the same problems happen over and over and over again, it's the process, not the people. It's just that simple. And most businesses have these common problems that happen all the time. And then people get fired for something that actually wasn't their fault. It's the way that the process was rolling out. It's not a person issue. It's a process issue. But most people can't see that. And Dr. Demi has a platform that allows you to actually see your business and see where the problems are coming from. And it gives you so much control. Since we've been talking about like being able to kind of take control of your life and take control of what's meaningful to you and take control of what success means to you. And a big part of success for me means being able to serve other people. And his theory allows for a business that serves the people instead of, um, take, instead of blames them and instead of demoralizes them. It serves them and it allows them to be really empowered and have a lot of freedom in their work. And I mean, that, that to me is a major thing. It's, a, it's, a very, it's a, actually a very methodical approach, but in the mythology, it gives all this freedom and it gives people an opportunity to be innovative and have fun and, and really actually find out what they're successful about or what they're successful doing inside of a company, at least the way that we deploy it. That, that's the way that we deploy it. So it's a pretty, it, there's a lot of elements to it, but the main thing is everything is a system understanding that, finding out where the variation is coming from. And there are very practical, easy, straightforward ways to do that. So I have never heard of this before. And I just feel like my mind is blown. Like this is so fantastic. Um, And what initially came to my mind when you were talking about it is the first question everybody wants to ask is, okay, like, what do I do? How do I be a successful entrepreneur? And the answer that you normally get is, there's no right or wrong way to do it, which is technically true. Um, but this seems like a blueprint of how to become a successful entrepreneur, like in a theory, like you can deploy these, however works within your business, but these are the elements that need to exist to be a successful entrepreneur. That, that for me, it has been, the reason I'm so committed to it is that it's never not worked for me. It has never not worked for me and it doesn't matter the industry. It's agnostic. It doesn't, I could come into your law practice and help you find ways that uh, where you may be having, um, so we write processes in, in a very specific way that shows you what's the value added way to do something. And then what's the way that there's non-value added activity that's going on? Hiro Hakkabord, who used to work with Dr. Deming and who is one of my mentors, talks about the way that non-value added activity shows up. And that, that's kind of one of his um, major contributions that he's made to how we deploy Deming's work, other than he's a statistical genius, which is fantastic. Um, but being able to see it. And for me, being able to make visible, oh, these are all the ways that we're engaging in a bunch of non-value added activity. And all that non-value added activity that's happening, that's where all the profit's going. That's literally where all the profit is going. It's going right out the door. And if we can recapture that profit back, 
it's unburdened profit. So it goes directly to the bottom line, unburdened with anything else, because your customers are only paying for the thing that they want, the value added activity. They're not paying for the non-value added activity, but that activity has to be absorbed somewhere. So it comes out of profits because you can't charge your customers for that because that's yeah. not what they bought. They didn't buy that. And so being in, and so the way that we do it by making it obvious and visible and easy and that anybody in the company can see it and anybody in the company can make changes and find problems and solve it and come up with innovative solutions. I mean, that automotive company, we had a guy, so we employed a lot of people at that company that came through the criminal justice system, right? Because they're all felony offenders and everybody says, you know, clean up your act and get your life together, but then nobody will hire them because they have a record. And preach well, lady, preach, believe so me. I, uh, for, for us, that is not an obstacle as long as you're honest about it. Just tell us up front. If there is anything that means you're going to be a safety hazard to anyone else in the company, we can't hire you because we have to keep everybody safe. But if it's something else that doesn't create a safety hazard, you're welcome in our doors. You're welcome to come get a job with us if you're honest about it up front. So we had this guy, Chris, he had this idea to make an innovation and a process that was taking us five minutes per part. And it doesn't really matter if you just understand it's a production line. So you're selling time. You're just selling time. So the less time it takes to do something, the more money you make. If you're charging to do something, if you're charging and saying it's going to take us five minutes to do that, and then you get an, an improvement, all that improved time is improved profit, right? So Chris came up with this idea. It was taking us five minutes to do these parts. So Chris said, I think we can do it faster. I said, okay, fantastic. He said, but I got to buy some stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, well, nobody has to ask to be able to spend money around here. If you need it, go buy it. So I couldn't understand why he was talking to me about it. And I thought this must be a lot of money. And he goes, it's going to be like 135. <laughs> and I'm thinking he must mean 135,000 because he's asking me about money, right? I'm like, well, you, there's a requisition, just a requisite. And so I said, 135,000, what do we need to buy? And he said, no, $135 so I can go to Lowe's. <laughs> I was like, why are you standing here talking to me? Go get it from the, like, why is this conversation even happening? But he just was nervous at that point, right? So he goes, he gets these parts, he puts things together. We call the customer and say, we're working on, a, on an innovation to your process for your parts. Do you want to share in the cost? And then we'll share in the, we'll share in the margin that gets saved, right? So if we save three minutes, we'll each get, a, a, you know, a minute and a half's worth of money back. No, we're not interested. And it was a very big blue chip company. They didn't want to do it. So we said, okay, fine. So we went, Chris. Now this is Chris. This is not a person that works in R&D or an, an executive. So Chris works on it for two weeks and he comes back to me and he goes, okay, I got it down to a minute 37. From five minutes to a minute 37. The customer didn't want to share with us in the, in the potential innovation. So they didn't get to share with us in the profit. We kept that three minute something worth of profit ourselves. Now, if you have a company where people can write a process and see there's non-value added activity and see the waste and have the permission to innovate solutions and have the latitude and freedom to improve the business, why wouldn't they do that? And why wouldn't we all want to have a company that uses a blueprint that gives people that amount of freedom and innovation on our behalf? 
on their behalf, on their colleagues' behalf, on the customer's behalf. Like it's a win, 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 win. And Dr. Deming says every system has to have an aim. And the most powerful aim is that everybody wins. He has imprinted in it that the most important thing is everybody wins. Man, you know, there's so much in there. So first of all, obviously I have my new research project. Um, Like this is so fantastic. Um, But I think that one of the most powerful things of that story um, or that, that example is the permission. Like, obviously there are some people who are going to be listening to this who every, I mean, I've worked at some jobs where every single penny that's spent has to be approved. And you think like how much time is somebody wasting by coming to you and asking you to go buy, you know, depending on your scale, if we scale it down to a newer entrepreneur, this $135 may be the same as like a $10 trip to to wherever. So you have somebody coming and and saying, Hey, I need to go spend $10. Is that okay? Like in my business, my assistant still messages me and says, Hey, I need to get these criminal records. It's a dollar 35. Can I put it on the credit card? Like quit asking me that the amount of time it takes you (laughs) to message me and do it is ridiculous because we need the stuff. Like you, you need it. And so I think it comes down to a couple of different things. And number one, that is making sure that you're training your, your people to where you have that trust in them. Um, and, and oversight process where you can make sure that, um, that standards are being held up and that you're not just throwing people into the fire and saying, okay, do the job the way I would do it, even though I haven't trained you. Um, but then also just this belief in people and building a culture where you're willing to let go of a little bit of control to allow everybody to feel like they have a stake in what you're doing, which is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really, um, it's funny. It, it's the, when you stop having all this hierarchy in a business, whether it's physical hierarchy, titled hierarchy, or spending hierarchy, the exact opposite of what people happens is what people think happens. Everybody thinks, well, they're just going to be wasteful and they're going to take advantage or they're going to steal. You know what? It's the opposite. The reason, the reason Chris came to me is he took really seriously that he was spending somebody else's money and he was on his honor. I love he it. He was on his honor about how he was spending money. So if you take all of that hierarchy, now you don't just take it away and it's not just a free for all. We're very disciplined in how we run a business and everybody goes through 80 hours of Deming training, everybody. And it's the same training and it's the same training that we would give to C-suite people at a major corporation. It, there's one training and it doesn't matter who you are in this planet. That's the training we do. That's it. That, that's just the training we do on Deming. And so it, it's not, even in our training, we're not hierarchical about it. You, we have production people and executives and uh, lands, our land, uh, the guy that did our landscaping, we invited him to come take our, our training because if he gets better at doing his job, it reduces costs. Any supplier that wants to come, we always do that. I mean, we're involved in a startup right now and you know, I'm, I'm doing what every new entrepreneur is doing right now. You know, we're trying to put all the pieces together and, it's a different industry and, you know, so it, you know, we're, we're on a learning slope ourselves about some of the technical aspects of it, which is exciting and also 
scary and frustrating. <laughs> so I, you know, my heart is with anybody who's starting something new because this is a strange time. It was a strange time to be launching a startup. And we're like, we were like right at the tipping point and then everything with COVID got shut down. So we shut down for about five weeks and now it's just a core of a few of us that are going, that are continuing to work because the project still needs to move forward. And so I really have a feel for anyone who is doing a startup or fighting all of those battles and slaying all of those dragons. And that's, I'll go back to the persistence piece. It's just, you know, so much the difference between success and failure is, is holding on until you get over that. You just have to get over that crest and that medical device company, the very first one, that's where I learned it. That, that's where I learned it because my husband came home and said, I don't want to do it anymore. And I'm standing there with a toddler on each hip and he doesn't want to do it anymore. And I was like, we, everything we own is invested in this business. We can't afford to not do it anymore. So I went in and took over the business. I'd been working in it before, but I was the one that went in and took over. And within really short order, we got over the crest. So if we'd given up when he wanted to give up, we wouldn't have made it. And I understood his frustration and I don't fault him for that. But we, everything was in it. We, we could not afford to quit. We just could not afford to quit. And that's where I feel like I'm at in this new startup that we're doing right now is we're at the moment where it, it would be the point where everybody would want to quit. And that's not the moment to quit. Yeah. When that's you quit, really when powerful. When you don't want to quit anymore. When you don't want to quit anymore. If you're going to quit, quit when you don't want to quit anymore. Because then you've quit for the right reason. Yeah, absolutely. We're um, getting to the point where we need to start wrapping up, but I want to give you some opportunities to talk about all of the amazing things that you're doing in the world. Um, Let's touch on ponytail racing just a little bit. What is ponytail racing? So that is, um, the short phrase for it is it's a motorsports event company that's doing good in the world. That's really what it is. And Right now, I have one main initiative that I'm doing, which is it's a give back program to wounded military veterans, you know, that are affected with PTSD and other wounds of war. And PTSD is a thing that's near and dear to my heart because it's a silent killer. And we're losing a lot of people. And, um, and there are people that secured the freedoms that we enjoy. And we have our lifestyle as a result of people going over and standing the post. And it is not lost on me. And I wanted to do something to give back. So we bring them out, we put them in the car, we take them for rides out on the racetrack. And um, I start, when I started it, I didn't know all the components of it. Um, I just thought I'd given some veterans rides at a fundraiser and they had really emotional reactions like crying and stuff like that. And so I finally asked one of them what's going on. And he said, I don't know, my brain hasn't felt this good in 30 years since before the war. And then it kept happening over and over. And so I got together with some friends of mine um, who I was just talking about something I wanted to do. And the SparkJoy Foundation came on board and funded the program. And so they provide the funding and they're amazing people. Amazing. Their whole thing is they just want to drop a pebble in a pond and see the ripples go out. And so again, because a big part of what I'm defined by is trying to be of service to other people. Um, the SparkJoy Foundation, are, they're per- close personal friends of mine, but they also are people that just want to do good things in the world. And 
Um, when they came on board, it changed everything for all of us. And the veterans are just amazing people. And we didn't want to be like a one and done or hit it and quit it kind of a thing. We wanted to have it be repeating so that they would come out of the house and draw them out of their isolation so that they could come and spend time with us. And I mean, it's just, they're, this, this stuff makes me want to cry. They're just such, a, our veterans are just, and active duty, they're such amazing, amazing people. And, uh, and so we just get to have a great time with them and allow them to bond and connect with each other, which is a part of the magic. Yeah. I was just about to tell you that I've never cried on a podcast interview and I wasn't about to let you be the first one, <laughs> um, but man, that's touching like so much because I, um, I used to be involved with, um, an organization called horses for heroes that was very similar yes. in the fact that you bring out individuals and you give them something else to focus on. Right. Yeah. So like everything that you've talked about today in relation to people, you're, you're, company, the, the auto company, um, building or giving a place for, um, felons to, to recover their life, like making sure that that's not a disqualifying thing for them, making sure that veterans that have given so much can get something back. And like, sometimes when it comes to both of those categories of people, it's just having somebody believe in them again, that allows them to turn their life around. It's somebody showing them what life felt like because they forgot that gives them that spark to keep going. And like, it's, I just, I have goosebumps listening to you talk about this. Like, this is so freaking amazing. It has been, honestly, it's been outside of my children. It's, it's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. It really is the, the veteran program. It's just simply the greatest thing I've ever spent any time doing. And, you know, I, I, I hope that I get to continue to do it for a very long time into the future because it just means everything to me. Yeah. I mean, I could talk to you about this forever. Unfortunately, we don't have that amount of time forever to be on a podcast. Um, so thank I want to start to wrap. What's up? But thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. Absolutely. And I'm sure this will not be the only time. Um, let's um, start to wrap up. I want to ask you um, if you had and I know this is a hard question to answer, but if you had kind of one piece of advice that you wish you could get out to new entrepreneurs, what would that be? Um, that they have to develop a method to use to run their business because the methods are everything. Having a goal and having a dream and having a wish without having a method to get there, that, that's where the rubber hits the road. And that's why I'm passionate about Deming and about the operation side of business because methods are everything. Yeah, I absolutely love that. My business coach tells me all the time that hope's not a strategy. So I'll be like, is this possible? And she'll be like, it depends on what your strategy is. If your strategy is just to sit there and hope for it, then no, it's not possible because hope's not a strategy. And I love that so much. And I think that's why I connect so much to what you're talking about, about systems. And I can't mm -hmm. wait to dig into that because that's a game changer in every business. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. And I'll be happy to show you about uh, the way that we deploy it because it'll make it visible for you in a way that I think will be super helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So before we wrap up, I want to do a quick random round, let everybody get to know you just a little bit more. Are you okay, okay. with that? Yes. All right. If you could do any profession other than what you're currently doing, what would you like to attempt? Oh, I'd like to be a comedian. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, what about time travel? If you could time travel, where would you go and why? 
Ooh, I want to go forwards. I want to see what the world's going to be like in like 150 years when I'm not here. That's awesome. Um, as far as books are concerned, are you a physical book holder, an audio book listener? How do you consume content? Um, I consume it in all the ways, but my favorite is a paper book. Like I still like to have a physical book, um, but I will say I'm really getting into the audio stuff because I can do that while I'm doing other things. So, but still, I'm still old school. I want to write. I want to. I want to highlight in my book. Yeah, I am definitely a highlighter, like multicolor highlighter to the point where it might be an obsession. Um, As far as um, resources is concerned, is there a book that you've recommended in the entrepreneurial world? Is there a resource that you've relied on um, to kind of get you through either the mindset hurdles or the actual um, procedure hurdles of running a business? Yeah, there's actually three. There's three books that I would say are, for me, they're, they're the foundation for me at this point in my life. Two books by Dr. Deming, not books about him, but his books, Out of the Crisis and The New Economics. Um, and then Personal Mindset Stuff is the book, The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles. I love that book. I read it all the time. I have a personal mastermind group that I do with just a core group of people. I organized it, but it's just, it's like an inner circle of people that I do it with. And we do it like every 12 weeks. I love it. Yeah. Um, And then my purely selfish question, because I'm a music nerd and I always have to figure out what new stuff I can listen to. (laughs) What is your pump up song? What do you listen to that you just can't have a bad day? Okay. Well, there's two, there's two. It depends. It depends. So, um, if I just want to be like funny, silly, goofy, it's Boogie Shoes by Casey and the Sunshine Band. Okay. And that's actually my alarm on my phone. So I wake up to Boogie Shoes. And then if I, if I want to go hard charging, it's ACDC's Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution. I love it. So I never tell people this before I ask this question because it always alters their answers, but I have a more than corporate playlist on Spotify and every guest that has answered that question, it goes into this playlist and it is like my motivation, like playlist that I share with my community. And so I tell people that and they're like, wait, wait, I need to change my answers. I'm like, nope. It's done. Oh, I Sorry. don't need it. To my answers. <laughs> I own it 100%. I'm, I'm all about it. No, nope. I love it. Um, okay. And then lastly, um, where can people connect with you if they want to um, reach out to you about your foundation, if they want to learn more about what you do, if they want to learn more about this fantastic method, or if they just want to connect with an amazing human being, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? So I have a, my website, ponytailracing.com which has, you know, all kinds of stuff on it. And then for the coaching, if they specifically want information about coaching, it's uh, ptrcoaching.com. So it's like ponytail racing, just abbreviated, but it's people theory and results is what the PTR stands for on that one. So yeah, either ptrcoaching.com or ponytailracing.com. I love it. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been so fantastic. And like I said, I feel like we could do like a series of interviews and not finish tapping into all the knowledge that you have. So thank you for sharing what you've, what you've shared with the audience today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. 
Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.